Um, we need to pray for missionaries all around the world. I thought this video was interesting. Oh, we're going to dismiss the kids. Sorry, Lydia in the back in the corner. Um, we're supporting missionaries all around the world. I think this video is really interesting because a lot of times I think some of us, we think in terms of sending English-speaking Americans to other countries to do missions, but this video is an example of sending Spanish-speaking missionaries to other countries. Um, and I think that's really, really cool because I think sometimes we get this idea in our head only one kind of people can go beyond mission, um, where that's not the fact, that's not the truth. Um, the fact is that anybody can go and be on mission, um, whether it uh, is in, in English-speaking uh, culture, whether it's in a, a other language culture that you don't know, and whether your home or, or mother tongue is English or Russian or Spanish or Polish or uh, any other kind of language, you can go other places and serve. And so when you think about um, missions this week, be in prayer for those missionaries that are serving around the world. It's hard to learn language. Um, I'm learning Spanish right now. I think I've told many of you that. Um, and uh, it, can be, it can be fun, uh, but can also be challenging. Um, so pray for missionaries all around the world as they are learning new languages and sharing the gospel in the countries um, that they're called to and the countries that they live in. So remember uh, this morning that Paul wrote the book of Philippians when he was in prison. Um, what we don't see in the book of Philippians is a lot of pouting, uh, a lot of moaning, and a lot of complaining about his misfortune. In fact, as he writes to the Philippian church, he writes a book that is often referred to as the book of joy or Paul's book of joy. Uh, more than 15 times in the book of Philippians, he uses the word joy or rejoice or some form of that. Um, so I'm going to give you your assignment up front this week. I usually give the assignment at the end, but while you're awake, there you go. Thank you for laughing. While you're awake, while you're attentive, your assignment in advance is this. Go home and read the book of Philippians. I know some of us are involved in reading the Old Testament. We're in Job. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's interesting. Job kind of connects with us a little bit today. Um, but add this in this week. It's only four short chapters. Uh, we're in the third chapter. We've already studied through one and two. It's not that hard to read four extra chapters. And the reading plan we have gives you the weekend off. So you have today, I know, uh, it, that's free. So read the book of Philippians sometime this week um, and take note of Paul's use of the word joy or rejoice or any other form of, uh, of, of that kind of concept. Um, and just let the whole book permeate uh, your thinking. So the question then is, how did Paul do it? How did Paul have joy in the midst of a difficult time, and how can we be joyful in the midst of difficult circumstances? We're going to read out of Philippians, starting in chapter 3. That marks our halfway point through the book. I think that the last half goes a little faster than the first half, but this is week 14. I don't think we'll be on a week 28 down the road. I think we'll end before that, but we have a little bit of time left, so read with me. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Then a warning. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have have reason for confidence in the flesh also if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh I have more 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul gives a little pedigree there we're going to talk about in a minute, but I want to talk about, there's actually two uh, two topics, two points in this message I want to cover today. So two words. First one is rejoice. We're going to talk about uh, rejoicing. It's small. It's a little word. You know, we, we fill up the whole screen with that word. Don't take the smallness of the word on the screen t- to mean it's a little rejoicing. Paul talks again a great deal about the, uh, the concept of rejoicing. And not just in the book of Philippians. Joy is the second in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. In the book of Galatians, love, joy peace, patience, and it continues. It's a major theme of the book of Philippians, and it is a theme uh, not only of the book, but a theme of Paul's life. Um, And we know from reading other times in the past Paul's list of trials that he went through. In fact, I think I I believe I read them last week uh, of being hungry, being cold, being homeless, being shipwrecked, um, being uh, in, in trouble with people who were like him, being in trouble with people who weren't like him. It, it, this is a guy that had so much conflict, so many things that, that came against him because he was bringing the gospel of Christ that you don't, uh, maybe, you, maybe you wouldn't expect this guy to have joy, but it is a major theme of his life. And so, um, if Paul was able to find joy in the midst of all of that stuff, certainly we can rejoice in the midst of what's going on in our lives. Let's take a look at that word rejoice and see the definition here. It means to feel or show great joy. To feel or show great joy. I wrote up there, it's kind of like joy in action. The word rejoice really uh, carries the concept of joy in action. When you're rejoicing, you're, you're showing your joy. You're letting your joy show I think the quest for joy, for fulfillment, for satisfaction is one of the main things that drives mankind. Um, I don't know about you, I, 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 and we all probably fall into this. I look for little, little glimmers in the day, little joyful moments, little places where I can, I can have a moment where I feel like just for a moment, everything's okay. The search for joy is really ethereal, isn't it? And we often fall into that trap of trying to find it in things in stuff, in people, in moments. I did a search. I couldn't believe this number, but I did a search. I went to Google. You can check it. You can, you can fact check me on this. I had to double check the number. I couldn't believe it. I searched for the words finding joy on Google. 1.35 billion results. I didn't even think there, I was like, wait a minute. How many, wait, how many zeros are all? I thought, I thought it was one, I thought it was 1.35 million. And I started counting zeros and I was like, 1.35 billion results. Um, I didn't look at them all. I mean, how many pages do you often get through in a search? When you really want to know something, do you go past page five? Sometimes, you know what sometimes I do is I just keep clicking on the highest number. I'll click on 10 and then I'll click on 20 and then I'll click on 30 because sometimes it's fun to get out there and see what the weird stuff is, right? Um, But joy, finding joy. I, I wrote down some of the titles and actually clicked on a couple other things and looked at them. Some of them were books, some of them were articles. Um, But here are a few titles. How do you find joy in your everyday life? These are things people are looking for. How do I find joy? Exactly how to find joy today. This is how to find joy. Four simple steps. I like that one. That was a good one. Ten ways to add more joy to your life. Finding joy in the little things. And it just, it went on and on and on. And it occurred to me a couple things. First of all, people are looking for something. 
something that's lacking, something that's missing, something in, innate in, 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 our, in our sin nature, if you will, that's, that's looking for something to fill a hole, fill a gap, uh, create a feeling, uh, give you a warm fuzzy. The other thing I noticed is that uh, while there are many, many, many people searching for it, pro- they obviously aren't finding it <laughs> because there's 1.35 billion results, right? One more thing stood out. The search for joy, listen, is generally a me thing. It's generally a, a self-centered thing. It's something I'm doing for myself. I'm looking for something for me. Which leads me to the question, in what are you finding joy? In what things do you find the most joy? In your, in your day, in your work day, in your weekend, in your nights, in your evenings, in your mornings? What are the things you, you gravitate for? What are the things that you pull out of your pocket? <laughs> and it's like, oh, I need some joy. And you pull your phone out and you look for joy in your phone, but you can't find it. 1.35 billion opportunities in your phone to find joy, but you can't nail it down. And we are, we are looking and we are searching for joy. Think about that today, this week, as you go through your day, as you go through your work day, your school day, uh, your nights, your mornings, your weekends. What am I looking for in joy? Take a, take a, a fearless inventory of what you're doing. Think about, what am I looking for? When you pull the phone out, when you flip the TV on, when you open up the cabinet or the refrigerator, when you start the coffee maker, that's mine. What am I looking for? Nehemiah talks a little bit about this. Eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 10. Nehemiah explains to us, to him, what joy means. And he is, this is what he says. And these aren't all going to be up here. I added a couple of these last night, this morning. But he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I think Nehemiah, is, he, he's, he's focusing in on something here. He's bringing us to think about something um, that uh, real, true joy is not found in our own strength and our own ability to find things. It's not in the 1.35 billion results in Google. Real joy is found in the strength of the Lord. And when I read that verse, I think to myself, I don't really understand what joy is. Maybe you read that and you're like, I'm not really sure what joy is then. Joy, uh, our definition, I went back to our our message series back during COVID when we were doing, well, it's still COVID, but it was a different version, right? Um, And I went back to the series uh, where we went through the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. I went and I looked and I read the joy message and I pulled the definition out of there just to read it to us again. The definition that we landed on for joy in that series was joy is an emotion of the soul produced by the Holy Spirit that causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. And that's not on the screen either. So I'm going to read it to you one more time. Joy is an emotion in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit that causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word, right, and in the world. It's not as much as I would like it to be in a hot cup of coffee, although I do love a hot cup of coffee. And in fact, when I order coffee, I, I order it extra hot. Anybody else drink extra hot coffee? There you go. I got, I got, I got a couple others. Um, and in the winter, our cabinet where we keep our coffee cups is by the back door. So when I open it in the morning, the coffee cups are usually cold. That's a terrible way to start with hot coffee. So I'll often run our, our kettle with hot water and I'll fill the cup up to heat the cup and then I'll put the coffee in so it's extra hot. 
but I'm not going to find joy in that extra hot cup of coffee. As much as I try, that's not where joy is. Um, those of you who are following along in reading the Bible chronologically, um, you can get access to that reading list anytime. I'm just going to put a little shameless plug in here. You go to epcc.me forward slash read. That'll give you our reading plan, and we're reading chronologically through the New Testament. And if you are following along with us, you know that we went through uh, Genesis for a few days, and then we jumped to Job. Well, Job is an interesting guy, right? Um, I pulled a verse out of, of the Job reading from this week, out of Job 6, and I actually went to a different, I don't often do this. I, I usually will stick with one translation of Scripture for teaching out of, and I teach out of the ESV. But I love the way the Christian Standard Translation, the Christian Standard Bible Translation, translates Job 6.10. In the words of Job, it said, It would still bring me comfort, and I would leap for joy in unrelenting pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. For Job, his joy was found in not denying God. His joy was in, no matter how bad things were, and any, who, you know, I'm just going to, who's reading? Who's read Job 1 through uh, whatever we're up to today, right? It's pretty bad for him. I mean, the, 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 the one guy ran in and said, hey, this bad thing happened, and, and the words weren't even hardly out of his mouth for another guy, and then this happened, and another guy, and then this happened, and another guy, and the roof fell down and killed your whole family. I mean, it was like problem on problem on problem on, on disaster, and Job says it would bring me comfort and I would leap for joy if I were found to have not denied the words of the Holy One. For Job, his joy was found in the Word of God, wasn't it? It was found in following God. It was found as Paul had found it in being a man of God. And, and there are women. You can be a woman of God, right? In not denying God, not uh, forgetting about God. After all, Job had suffered in loss and misery, and he still found joy in his life. The fact uh, was that he had not denied God, and in spite of all the bad things, he was able to praise God. In spite of the bad things. When we look around us today, it may not seem like there's a lot to rejoice in. I, I think there are some things. I think if you look hard enough, we can find things to rejoice about. There, there are a lot of good things happening. There are, of course, uh, a lot of bad things happening. And I think Paul would beg to differ with the assessment that there wasn't much to, uh, to, to rejoice in, and I think Job would beg to differ. And I think the apostle John would beg to differ as well. And he wrote in John 15, 9 through 11, a little bit about joy. And he says this, As the Father has loved me, so uh, have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Some scripture, some translations say your joy may be complete. I like that. I like that. These things, he's speaking of the Word of God, the things that he's written. John said, these things I have written to you about the love of God and abiding in God in order that the joy of God may be in you and that that joy may be complete. What would that feel like to have complete joy? To not feel like you needed to go to the cupboard to look for something to fill that joy. That you didn't need to go to the coffee maker. You didn't need to pull out the phone flip on the TV. Um, I don't know how many streaming services you have, but when I turn my TV on and they all pop up, I, sometimes I just like 
how can you have so many streaming services? You know, I'm embarrassed sometimes that there's, there's Netflix and Hulu and, and, and Disney Plus and, and I can't even think of them all. Prime. Anybody you do Prime? Prime comes automatically. If you do Amazon Prime, you get all this other stuff. And it's just like, uh, we did ESPN for a while so we could, ESPN Plus, so we could watch uh, Montana State football games. And there's just streaming service after streaming service and, and opportunity after opportunity to try to find joy in other ways. Um, but God says, and in, in the words of John, that God has spoken to us and said, abide in my love, stay connected with me, stay connected with my commands, with my word, in order that my joy may be in you and that that joy may be full and it may be complete. Maybe we just need to spend some time seeking the Lord. Maybe instead of opening the cabinet, we open our Bible. Maybe instead of opening the, the fridge, turning on the coffee maker, uh, grabbing the remote for the television, we grab the Bible instead. And maybe, uh, I'm not against using the Bible on your phone. A lot of us in here today are probably using the Bible on your phone. But if you have trouble surfing the phone too much, maybe just get a paper Bible to read. And pull that out and read that because you can't swipe to CNN or the Weather Channel. I love the Weather Channel. I love weather. I'm always looking at the weather. And I have an app that tracks every aircraft in the air, every commercial aircraft. And a plane flies over, and I pull my phone out to see, oh, where's that plane going? It's interesting to me. I, I just like, I like aircraft. It's fun. Everybody has your little thing in your phone that you pull out. You have a, a bored moment. You pull your phone out. Maybe if we pull out our paper Bibles, we won't be distracted by all the fun in our phones. We're not done with the message yet, but we're going to take just a second here to pray. I just felt impressed that as we, as we travel through this section of Scripture, excuse me, <coughs> we should just take a moment to pray because I suspect that many of us are in the same place where we're, we're, we're not finding joy. We're not living in joy. We're not rejoicing. We're not connected with the joy of God. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we confess before you today that we have not been living lives of joy and full of rejoicing because of the things that we fill our lives with. And for, and for each of us, that's something different. For the things that we're seeking, uh, entertainment, food, uh, coffee, uh, whatever it is, Lord, um, you know what that is in, in each of our lives. Lord, we confess before you that we've often turned to those things to try to fill a hole, to fill a space um, in us, something that's missing. When your word tells us over and over and over and over again, Lord, that um, our purpose is in you, and that if we love you and we abide in you, that is to stay connected to you. We fill our minds and our lives with your word. We spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ, serving and loving one another in the world, um, that you will create in us this joy that's unimaginable and, and unattainable in any other way, that it's not something we can go out and buy, it's not something we can go out and earn, but that, Lord, you want to give us joy, your joy, not the world's substitute for joy but your joy and that you want to give us a a kind of joy that is complete and so lord we confess before you today that we don't have that kind of joy we don't live in complete joy and so lord teach us as we think about this this week as we pray about this as we read through philippians together again this week and we 
uh, look and try to understand as Paul talks and teaches about the joy in his life. Lord, teach us how to have the joy that you have designed for us in us. Um, that we don't have this, this empty space, this empty spot, this hole that we try to fill. But instead, Lord, you fill it with your joy and that that joy may be complete. And we ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the second part of this passage, he, he moves and, and, and connects to this idea of what you're trusting in. And, and so it's kind of similarly connected. He talked about joy, but then he asked this question, what are you trusting in? And he starts this, saying, or this segment by saying this, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So we see that the, the thing that Paul is about to talk about, he has written the church repeatedly about, and he has mentioned over and over. See, there was a divisive movement at work in the early church. It was a movement that was based on works. In other words, trying to do something to achieve rightness with God as opposed to um, receiving rightness from God because of the salvation that you can have only through Christ and his sacrifice. It was one based on a ritual circumcision of the male genitalia rather than a circumcision of the heart. To the Jews, the circumcision represented the first requirement of the law, and it symbolized their approach to God, and they took great pride in it. And Paul recognized that circumcision was simply a cutting of flesh and had no part uh, or no value apart from this spiritual connection, this genuine faith in Christ. And he speaks about it in Romans 2, starting in verse 25. He says, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will his uncircumcision be, uh, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised keeps the law, will condemn you who have written the code and circumcision, but break the law. In other words, he's making a, 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 a connection here. There's no connection between circumcision and being right with God. And here's what he says. No one is who is a Jew who is merely outwardly, uh, one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Paul believes that is taught in Scripture that it is much more important that God rules your heart than whether you have some kind of physical marking on your body that, 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 that proves something. Paul is warning that a physical circumcision in the life of the, 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 the Jews who were now becoming Christians and Christ followers was, a, uh, in a way, a works-based approach to knowing God. People were trusting in what Paul is literally calling a physical mutilation as a proof of their righteousness before God instead of trusting in a spiritual change of the heart. But a heart change is the only thing that matters to God. A heart change. Having some kind of medical procedure doesn't change things for God. It doesn't matter if you make, listen, your first communion, if you go on a pilgrimage, if you give gifts of time and money. Doing things for and in the name of God is never going to be enough to make yourself right with God. They will never, uh, there will never be enough that you could do to pay for your sin debt. Matthew 15, 8 and 9 talks about this. It says, These, uh, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts... Or their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For God says, 
honor me, love me, follow me, obey me. But these people that Matthew uh, is writing about here honor with their lips, but their hearts are far away. For God, what you say, what you do, doesn't matter as much as where your heart is. Is your heart close to God? Is your heart God's treasured possession? Or are you holding on to it yourself? This is my heart. This is my life. It all comes down to a question of trust. So let's look at that word trust for just a moment. Trust is a firm belief in the reliability, truth, uh, ability, or strength of someone or something. In what are you trusting in today? In Paul's uh, case, people were trusting in works, in this case, circumcision. But in today's case, what do people trust in in order to be right with God? Uh, keeping rules. There are uh, religious structures, other denominations, and it's rule keeping. Keep this rule. Do this. Do this. Uh, go to church on this day. Don't go to church on that day. Uh, eat at this time. Don't eat at that time. Don't eat when the sun's up. Eat after the sun's down, right? There are, are lists of rules. Are you trusting in a baptism, or a confirmation, how much you give, a perceived goodness, maybe a notion that your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds at the end? I've talked to people before, then they're like, well, I don't really know what's going to happen, but I hope when I get up to heaven, the good things I've done will outweigh the, the bad things I've done. Maybe it's based on the worldly idea that people are generally good. Do you hear people say that? People are generally good. Scripture teaches no one's good. In fact, one of our daughters used to remind us of that all the time. <laughs> you deserve death and hell. <laughs> well, you're right, and we all do. But not because of the uh, things that God can do, but because of the things that I have done, my sin. But God's righteousness can rescue me from those things. Philippians 3, uh, 5 and 6 Again, I just want to read, Paul had this list, he had this pedigree, if you will, of things that he could have trusted in that were works-based, if you will. Listen to what they were. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as far as zeal persecuting the church, as far as legalistic righteousness faultless. Wow. <laughs> Paul was uh, in that list among a very small select group of other people, other men, who had achieved this kind of, if you will, worldly Jewish perfection. There were not many people who fit into this kind of list. He was at the top. He had the right pedigree. And he had made it. He was golden before God, right? Not so fast. What's most important to God is our right position before him whether we are or are not righteous let's take a look at that word righteous for a moment the word righteous means being morally correct right or honorable undertaking right actions see righteousness is not something you can manufacture according to the bible it's not something you can buy it's not something you can work for it's not something that you can somehow achieve by going to the right church at the right times doing the right things um, Romans 3, Paul talks a little bit about righteousness. Verse 21, he says, The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a, a sacrificial uh, gift, if you will, by his blood to, re- to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because his do- in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Our righteousness before God is predicated on our relationship with Christ. Relationship with Christ, right before God. No relationship with Christ, wrong. Very simply summing up those verses right there. If we are right before God, through the salvation, through the, the sacrifice of Christ and our salvation relationship with him, then we are right with God. But without that, we are removed from God. Now, Paul's reminding the church in Philippi here and us by extension to put no confidence in the flesh. And in that, we're going to, to today say that means things you can do, things that you can try to accomplish In other words, the church in Philippi and us by extension are being reminded that we have no confidence in our own righteousness. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can accomplish on our own. All true righteousness comes from God. Okay, so I left you with two questions. I'm just going to review these real quick. Uh, And we're going to sum this up and we're going to close this. The first question I gave you is where are you finding your joy And the second was, in what or in who are you placing your trust? These questions connect, and they're the most important questions I could ask you this morning, ironically, because the answer to these questions is the same answer. It's the Sunday school answer, right? You ask a question, and all the kids in Sunday school say, Jesus It sounds trite, possibly. It sounds expected. It sounds like exactly the thing you would expect the pastor to say in a message on Sunday morning. But that doesn't make it any less true. Where are you finding your joy? It should be in Jesus and in his word. Where are you placing your trust in? The only thing you can place your trust in and truly find righteousness before God and salvation with God is in Christ. If you are inserting anything else into that equation, your answer comes up short. No one else can bring you true joy. The righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ is available, it said in this scripture, for all who will believe. Now, some of us have come to faith in Christ. We have, uh, we've, we've found our place in that journey in life. I was 16 when, when I came to faith in Christ, and I was confronted by um, my own sin in a message that a pastor spoke in a church. And after the service, I went down and talked to him, and I sat in his office, and he shared with me, and he said, you know, you have come to the place where you realize your own sin can't be taken care of by anything you can do and you need to follow Christ and I sat with him in his office and I prayed and I asked Jesus Christ to save me and that began a journey in life uh, uh, of of growing in my faith and as Paul has put in our in our previous weeks working out my salvation growing in that relationship coming to understand who Christ is and 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 have I arrived no 
Am I still struggling sometimes to find joy? Yes. Are you still struggling sometimes to find joy in the right places? Absolutely, we all are. But this journey begins with a commitment to Christ. For all who will believe, it says, God will make you and show you his righteousness at the present time, that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Scripture, and I read it just a moment ago, says all have sinned, all of us, and we've all fallen short. But we can be justified by his grace, by his grace in the gift of Christ, and we can be redeemed. That literally means purchased back. We have lost our connection just through life and sin from God. And, and this scripture says God wants to buy you back. That's what that word redeem means, to, to, to redeem something. Buy it back. God wants to buy you back. And he, he does that through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray in a moment, and we're going to close in a minute, and I'm going to encourage you two things. First, we're going we're to pray. Second, I'm going to say, if this is a decision you have never made, if you have never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you've never come to the Lord and confessed, I've tried all these things and they don't work. I can't reach you. I can't do enough. I can't, I can't manufacture enough joy. If, if you're in that state and you, you say, I want to know Jesus Christ, you can pray with me in a moment right now as we pray. But I encourage you, come find me afterward, just like I did when I was 16. I went down and I talked to the pastor after church and I said, hey, I need to talk some more about knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I need you to, to, to show me some more scripture. I need to talk some more about this. I need to, to understand some more. This is the single most important decision that you can make in your life. And it all starts with a relationship with Christ. So let's pray and then come find me. Come talk to me. And, uh, and we'll set up a time to sit down and talk a little bit more about knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're ready now to pray, you can pray in your seat. You just say, Heavenly Father, uh, I've sinned. I've fallen short uh, of, of your perfect will. I've sinned against you. Today, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my sin. I want to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Please save me. Scripture says if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ went to the cross, died, uh, and rose again in behalf of your sin, and you call on his name and ask to be saved, that he will save you. He will hear you, and he will save you. And this is the most important thing we can do today, Lord. So I pray that all over the room and, 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 and online, Folks that are listening today or other days this week ahead, um, Lord, that we take seriously what you have showed us today in Scripture and that we come to you honestly, uh, having taken a fearless inventory of the things that we are trusting in and the things that we are looking to joy for, and that we come to you, Lord, asking for forgiveness where we have looked elsewhere. And that we either ask you for the first time to be Lord and Savior or we renew our commitment to you again asking, Lord, to change our hearts. Renew a, a steadfast and upright spirit in me. Lord, change us and renew us and teach us what it means to have joy. 
that we might be those who rejoice even when everything around us is falling apart. We know we can have joy in you. Lord, teach us to look the right place this week and to trust in the right things. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that it touches our hearts and our minds and it changes us, Lord. And um, we love you and we honor you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen.